Welcome to the Annie Centre podcast. My name is Justin Kingdon. And I'm Dr. Anne Chalfont. And today we're going to be discussing anxiety in early childhood and a book we wrote towards addressing that called Wally the Worried Wallaby. In doggone trouble. One mother, one mission. To create a world where families thrive. Dr. Anne Chalfont, internationally acclaimed clinical psychologist, family therapist, author and mother of four children, brings you powerful and practical parenting techniques from her clinical and personal experience. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in the house. So, Anne, thank you very much. Uh, I think uh, as some of our uh, longer term listeners will see and probably hear we've updated our rig um, improved microphones improved system so hopefully we'll you have (laughs) i had nothing to do with it because i'm not technologically skilled that's okay thank you justin that's all right so uh hopefully though now we'll uh, uh be able to move into the realm of podcasting proper all right so let's get started uh talking about young children and anxiety before we start talking about the book so over to you Anne. So uh, we know that anxiety in young children is becoming more and more prevalent and, you know, the, the most common prevalence rate that we look at uh, of, of late is the idea that, you know, seven, up to 7% of children from as young as three years of age can present with anxiety, so three all the way up to 17, but as young as three. And if you think about a typical three-year-old, uh, we're talking about, you know, up to 7% of children in that age range presenting with an anxiety problem or an anxiety disorder. And that's quite concerning when you think about your average three-year-old presenting with an anxiety disorder and what that involves. And an anxiety disorder, when we when we use the word disorder or problem, we mean anxiety that is on a daily basis occurring to such a significant degree that it's impacting their day-to-day functioning and their family's day-to-day functioning. So it's a problem not just for the child but for the family overall um, and uh, causes significant distress. Uh, you know, you, kind of if you think about a rating scale of, of 0 to 10, you know, anxiety would be in the 8, 9, 10 range in terms of how distressed the child could be um, for, for, you know, sometimes quite uh, neutral stimuli or, or reasons, you know, that for, for others they might seem to think are, are, are pretty straightforward. But for a child who's anxious, it could be things like separating from parents. It could be particular triggers, um, more specific things like, you know, dogs or insects or heights or so let's germs. Step, let's step through that if I can mm-hmm. just interrupt mm-hmm. there and just if we can describe, to take one of those examples yes. and which can then, uh, we can illustrate what those um, phases are mm-hmm. uh, of anxiety and elevated anxiety and then, you know, every parent will have something different but at least then using one example they can apply it to that. So what do you, let's take uh, one thing, what could it be? As you, you mentioned dogs and we just bought a dog so we understand yes. a little bit about that yes. with uh, some of our children being a little unsure around our new uh, dog Sarai. So let's talk through that. So if it's a child who has an anxiety problem or an anxiety disorder, that's different to a child who might be generally nervous around dogs or a bit tentative towards dogs. That's not the same thing. An anxiety disorder or an anxiety problem, this 7% prevalence rate that we're looking at in kids as young as three, is the kind of child who may even be sort of so fearful of dogs that they won't even look at pictures of dogs. Okay. Or if they see a television ad you know, for dog food, for example, they'll insist that the TV is turned off or if they're at the park they would be concerned about even 
going to certain areas, bigger areas in the park for fear that they might see a dog. So there's anxiety in anticipation of the possibility of even even encountering a dog, not just a nervousness in the presence of a dog, Um, let alone for a child who has an anxiety difficulty. If they were in the presence of a dog, you would see quite significant distress um, and avoidance, you know, safety-seeking behaviours, wanting to leave the situation, trembling. They might, uh, you know, even report that they, you know, then go on to have, you know, bad dreams about dogs. They might talk about um, their fear of dogs at home regularly. They might also, at the other end of the spectrum, stop people from mentioning the word dog um, at home because they're so frightened and it, it sort of pervades all aspects then of their functioning. So it's when it's a problem, when it's a disorder, it really occurs to such a significant extent that it's not just a nervousness, but it's about avoiding all aspects of possible encounter with dogs, whether it's real, face-to-face, or whether it's in things like pictures, books, ads, discussion, um, the words, yeah, those sorts of things. Excellent. So that's a, an example of anxiety of a particular yes. being, object or thing. We so, call that a specific phobia. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then that's that's one form. Are there other forms of anxiety that a child may have around, um, for example, an obvious one is darkness or um, uh, do they get anxious around uh, when there's just maybe uh, you know a heightened sense of noise with a new baby or something like that? Are there, are there anxiety-inducing, what you've just described then, when it's not literally a physical thing, it can be another stimulus? Yes, there can be all sorts of specific phobias. Um, it doesn't have to relate to a particular object or animal or being. Um, so it can be, yes, fear of the dark. It can be um, fear of certain noises. The, the kind of children that I um, work with a lot clinically, children with an autism spectrum disorder, may be quite aversive, um, You know, have an aversive response or a negative reaction to certain sensory stimulus. So it could be that they then go on to have fear of certain noises or fear of certain tastes or textures um, and avoid particular foods because they can't tolerate the texture or the feel of the food in their mouth or the taste of it or the smell of it could be another issue for them. So um, they may go on to experience anxiety in anticipation of those foods being presented Mm -hmm. to them. Uh, And as a result, that anxiety, depending on if they are able to continue avoiding what they're fearful of, then uh, unfortunately what that does is just build anxiety up more. It allows anxiety to grow rather than teaches them that perhaps if we introduce smaller amounts of whatever the object of their fear is, whether it's a dog, whether it's a taste, whether it's the dark, uh, whether it's a sound, uh, in incremental steps that sort of go from being the least uh, worrisome to the most in a gradual way, and we'll talk about this in a moment, this idea of exposure therapy. Mm. Um, but that, that is the way to treat anxiety difficulties. And, and if we avoid anxiety, it, it allows anxiety to grow. If we face fears, whether it's an anxiety problem or disorder in young kids or whether it's just a general nervousness around certain objects or stimulus, we need to learn to face fears in order to overcome anxiety. Right. So uh, I think a, a question that parents are going to have is is that what have I done as a parent to create anxiety in my child? Now, that may be a uh, reasonable question to ask, or in some instances, it's had nothing to do with what the parent's done. So can you give me an insight into that? 
Yeah, well, I think if you're a parent, as 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 we are, of, of four children, it's always a reasonable question to ask, you know, what could I have done? Because as a parent, you're always going to feel that you're somehow responsible for aspects of your child's growth and development. So it's a normal question to ask. I think that's probably a, a better word. It, it's a it's normal, mm. but it's not necessarily reasonable in that the the responsibility for why a child may present with an anxiety difficulty is it's not you know that we sort of throw that at the feet of parents. Some children. Uh, may be more vulnerable to anxiety than other children. Maybe there's a history of anxiety difficulties in their extended family, whether that's parents who themselves have anxiety or other mental health difficulties mm-hmm. or the broader family, you know, aunts and uncles, or grandparents, things like that. So there might be, um, you know, a hereditary component to the anxiety. Uh, it could also be related. We know that there's a, you know, a, an element of brain functioning and how the circuitry in the brain and sort of neural pathways and responses and the hormonal system, all of that works as well. So there's a physio, sort of um, neurobiological component to anxiety. And then, uh, you know, for those children who are more vulnerable, maybe there are some children who have a more anxious temperament or personality anyway, in, in light of certain triggers... Um, or maybe there are particular triggers that then tip that vulnerability over the edge into a problem, uh, like you know perhaps a child has a particularly difficult um, or challenging experience on one occasion being separated from a parent, mm-hmm. or maybe there's some other uh, difficulty that the family experiences as a whole. I'm just you know to throw some examples out there, maybe there's a you know a break into the house or. Right. Maybe, uh, you know, the, the child unfortunately is at a park where they see maybe a dog fighting another dog or biting another child or even themselves are bitten or something like that, if we go back to the example of dogs. So they, you may have people who are more vulnerable to experiencing anxiety difficulties, but then when there's a trigger or when there's that particularly challenging situation, that's when it sort of flows over into an anxiety problem right. or an anxiety disorder. And, and again, it, you know, in terms of parental, uh, you know, onus or responsibility, and what parents have done or can do, what what we know is that in in the re- in the research in the scientific research, one of the biggest issues is is this idea of avoidance versus facing fears, and it's and and in life, and I think in the parenting literature in general these days, there is this sort of um, splitting of approaches where we either parent from a position of building resilience and confidence in kids and sort of pushing them in a measured way to face fears or or face up to things that may distress them, not just things that cause them anxiety but distress in any other way. Sure. Um, For example, you know, even parents who want to protect their kids from losing at a school sporting match and, and, you know, in the car trip on the way home say, oh, no, it doesn't matter, the other team were bigger or, you know – you were down a number of players or... The referee you know, cheated. Sort of, yeah, all that sort of thing. So, it's it, again, right. they're just little indirect ways that as parents we can um, avoid facing what it, what it is that may actually be causing distress or the, or the source of a distress. So, th- that's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the parenting spectrum, which can include the way we parent kids who are anxious, is this idea, you know, rather than facing fears, is, is this idea of protecting or possibly over-protecting mm-hmm. children and, and facilitating or allowing kids to avoid what it is that they're anxious about. And, and how would that manifest itself? How would, we, so how would a parent check themselves? If we think about the dog example, 
Um, it might be that you allow the child to avoid going to certain aspects of the park. And in fact, not only do you facilitate or allow it, but you yourself kind of reinforce that um, or model that for the child by saying, you know, today we're going to the park, but don't worry, we're not going to go anywhere near the section um, of the bike track where we, we've seen dogs before. We're going to only go to the swings and that way you'll feel safe. So it sort of sends the message, um, you know, consciously or subconsciously to the yep. child that, um, you know, mum or dad are there to make sure everything is safe for you and and, and there will be no opportunity for you to face the things that you're fearful of. Or if it's the dark or if it's certain sounds, you know, that you may remove those um, opportunities for a child to, to see or be exposed to those fears from the environment. Now, obviously, we can't remove the dark, but you might make sure that there are certain lights on in the child's room at mm. night so that they feel more comfortable to go to bed. The door's left open exactly. and things like that. Um, Even though that might ruin certain their certain checking routines. Exactly. Or if it's certain foods or textures, maybe you take those out of your child's diet. So again, it, it you know, the, the way that we know that is the most effective in the literature and the scientific literature and from clinical practice and and and, I, and honestly as a parent of four kids anecdotally as well is ultimately allowing children to face fears and and to face what it is that causes them to stress over a period of time is the best way to help build confidence and resilience. And I, I think I'm just going to jump in there and yeah. say in order to do this, yes. it sounds like you are going to have to see your child go through some level of distress uh, for sure. as they face yes. that fear. And you're going to say to yourself as a parent, well, I'm a bad parent because I can see my child there. Uh, and they may be in a clinical setting or they may be just at home as you're trying this yourself and they're left in the dark and they are just screaming. And you're thinking, well, here I am. I'm making them go through a terror yes. in order to face their fear. Where do I stop so I know that I'm not making this worse. Yes. So I think I would say to parents that, you know, again, with this idea of not blaming parents, you know, it's not the fact that we have a body of parenting um, literature now, and, and, and I suppose this relates to anxiety management as one approach as well, where, um, you know, we parents are, a, where one style of parenting, sorry, is about encouraging children to always feel safe and always be comfortable and always feel happy and not experience distress and to be protecting children all the time, um, you know, isn't isn't a bad thing in that obviously it comes from love. You know, parents want to make their children as happy as they can. They love their kids just as we love ours. Um, you know, we want them to have happy and fulfilled lives. But the problem obviously with that is how unrealistic that is. I mean, when children obviously grow and develop and, and face the playground and peers and, and the noises of their environment or, you know, other objects and stimulus, whatever they are, you, you cannot be there 100% of the time mm. to um, protect them. And when they have lack of of experience in how to cope, then that's when kids really become undone. So what we want is to teach parents the skills to allow their children to cope. Now, you know, coming back to your point about exposure and feeling guilty when your child is facing the dark and, and you sort of left them in a room in the dark. Equally, we don't, you know, cl as a clinician, we don't ask parents to just suddenly flood their children with the source of their fear and wait till the child somehow gets used to that. That equally is an unhelpful strategy. So what you do with exposure therapy, which we know in anxiety treatment is one of the most effective ways of treating anxiety, including in young children, is we, as, as I said earlier, we we, we take a fear, let's keep it with the fear of dogs as a simple example. Well, we can now go and talk about the book now. Yeah, I think it's sure. a good segue into that. 
and we um, we break that fear down into steps. So we look at with a child, what is the easiest place to start or where, where are they comfortable at the moment? What can they do? So we try and be more positive in our approach or strengths-based, if you mm. like. What can the child do currently? Can they currently, if we think about a dog, um, you know, look at still pictures of a dog in a dog book, for example, um, or is it that they can only, you know, read the word, written word of dog on a page? If that's something they can do, then that would be our starting point with exposure or cognitive behaviour therapy around anxiety. So we might set little exercises where we get the child to do that with rewards in place for their efforts and bravery in doing that. So we would never um, take a child who's fearful of dogs or has mm-hmm. an anxiety, a specific phobia of dogs, an anxiety disorder around dogs, and send them off to the park with a parent um, for a day of watching the dog trainers next to them. Right, because we, we start we... with a simpler step and a much more comfortable step first and yeah. then it works slowly over time up to those more challenging steps because you know in the workplace we get you know you, you're going to get thrown in the deep end as we hear this you know and we we're at work and it's like well you know the only way to learn is through experience and and you you can't take that approach that you know as an adult and apply can apply to adults that sometimes yeah you just get thrown in the deep end and you work it out to this because you can't just, as you say, walk down to the dog off leash park and stand your child there uh, and force them to watch it until you know the screaming and the crying just becomes too much for you. And then you go, right, job well done. Now let's just get back in the car and yes. we'll be back here tomorrow, exactly Johnny. Right. That doesn't work either. So <laughs> we know overprotection, <laughs> overprotection doesn't work. Equally, traumatizing your child doesn't work. Right. Um, and it's it's about that middle ground of, as I said, breaking things down into smaller steps. And to and to and to come back to that particular analogy of you know throwing someone in the deep end as an adult or just in general. Mm. I mean, we we also know that that doesn't work either. I mean, if, yeah. you, were, if you were literally swimming, you would you teach children to swim by starting at the shallow end where they're safest. Give giving them the skills to cope, then moving on to different levels and grades of swimming. Yep. It's exactly the same. You teach a um, kid how to get out of the pool. You know, that's that's exactly one of the first right. things you but do. But they do it independently and this Correct. is what cognitive behaviour therapy and exposure therapy and the ideas in the Wally book are all about. All right, so let's jump into the uh, Wally the Worried Wallaby, which is a book that uh, was you wrote uh, with yes. a parent guide. Yes. Uh, so I just want to get that there out front that it isn't just a book that you read and then as a parent you're left alone to then – uh, take the lessons from it and apply it. Uh, there is a detailed parent guide that basically goes page by page. Um, and That's it's there in, in the front, but just to describe it to our listeners, um, it, it's it's uh, written in a very approachable way for, for parents and children. And the illustrations uh, were actually done by an ex-Disney animator uh, in Australia. Uh, in Australia. Uh, uh, interestingly, they, they after they closed the Disney animation down in Australia and then now it's reopened. Mm. That's just a little... Fun fact on the side. So uh, who is this book for? So the book is for young children. So when I say young children, I mean preschool age up to, say, middle primary school age. So from as young as, you know, two, three, up to children who might be, you know, eight, nine years of age. That would probably be the most appropriate group, um, age group, and who may be experiencing anxiety difficulties, not necessarily an anxiety disorder like Mm. we've been discussing, but early stages of anxiety difficulties or nervousness or trepidation around certain objects or stimulus. 
and their families. It's for their families and their parents to work through with them. And as you said, there's a book. So either the child could read the book to their parents or they could read the book with their parents um, or the parent could read to the child if the child's a non-reader. And then there's a parent guide which basically simplifies uh you know, the evidence-based approaches of cognitive behaviour therapy, which is the the most uh, effective, has been shown over and over in the scientific literature as the most effective way of treating anxiety difficulties. What we do in the parent guide is, is just make that easier to apply as a parent, simplify right. it, more practical, mm-hmm. um, rather than a clinician, where if you were taking your child to treatment in a clinic, we're trying to give parents the strategies to apply some of these cognitive behaviour therapy skills at home with their kids, with their young child. And the idea or the, the rationale behind the book in the first place was as I've said, we know that anxiety is an increasing problem for young children. Uh, we know now, you know, to the point where even in New South Wales, in New South Wales, the state in Australia where we live, the education minister has just put forward this idea that teachers, um, as of next year, will have to have particular professional development um, and upskilling in mental health and screening of kids for things like anxiety and depression, but particularly anxiety, um, compulsorily. So, uh, you know, it's becoming a more prevalent issue and we wrote the book to try and look at this idea that rather than waiting till children are a little bit older where maybe an anxiety, you know, difficulty is more full-blown, let's try and give strategies that can be used at home with younger kids before things sort of spiral out of control. So it's more of a preventative approach um, or an early step treatment or an early intervention Mm -hmm. approach. Okay, so let's. Can you just give the uh, everyone just a brief overview of the story? Yes. So the story is about Wally, who is a wallaby, and his friend Carly, who is a confident koala. And we chose Australian uh, animals, obviously, because we're Australian, and and uh, we wanted that to come through. And particularly with those species, particularly koalas, now after our bushfires, you know, being far more endangered, we wanted, to, you know, we want to feature um, and make a note of, of these sorts of special animals. Um, and the book was a great way to do that, or is a great way to do that. So, um, Wally, the worried wallaby worries about all sorts of things and his worries get the better of him as worries do. We talk with young kids often clinically about this idea that it's your worries bossing you around and taking over Mm. Um, and we're trying to speak about it in that way so that we can empower children to feel like the worry is separate to them. It's not inside them. It's not something that they can't sort of dissociate from themselves. So we want to allow children then to learn that if we give you these skills and if we work on these strategies, you'll be able to boss those worries back and get rid of them and put them in their place. So Wally has lots of worries and one particular worry that he has is about germs, particularly germs from the next door Carly, his friend, the next door neighbour, and her her dog's name is Nephi. So he worries about germs from Nephi. And one day Wally sticks his head out the window, hears some sounds and Nephi, who's a lovely, happy... Go lucky dog gives him a big lick because she thinks that Wally's ready for a play. And of course, Wally takes that very terribly, um, you know, goes off to wash himself repeatedly and has all sorts of problems at night, not able to sleep, etc. So we're kind of hamming up, I 
suppose, for kids um, to make it really explicit and clear the difficulties that Wally has because of his worries. It's the worries that boss him around and they cause problems for him. We really try and put that emphasis um, very clearly for children. So Carly comes over the next day wanting to play with him and with Nephi and he doesn't want to go. Wally's mum, um, who's obviously a Wallaby 2, models confidence and sends him off to play with Carly. And as the book continues, Carly takes Wally through a little graded exposure program. Right. Um, she doesn't call it that, of course, but what <laughs> she's doing is uh, showing Wally that he can give it a go. And that's her little yeah. mantra that comes through the book. Don't say no, give it a go. So she's trying again to encourage him to instill confidence and empower him to try and face his fears, particularly his fears around Nephi and germs. Mm. And she does that in a graded way. They start with things like um, you know, what, washing Nephi's bowl out, then, you know, cleaning Nephi's blanket, um, allowing Nephi then into the laundry where they're going to, I think, give her a feed, yep. then eventually taking Nephi to the park where Carly's leading Nephi, and then eventually playing ball where Wally's a part of that, to then the final step being that Wally's confident enough to walk with Carly, but be the one to hold the lead and walk Nephi home. And I think at some point later down the end of the book, Nephi does, uh, you know, give Wally another lick and he manages because he's gone through those earlier steps with Carly. So what we're trying to do in the book is um, use a really fun, um, engaging story with these gorgeous characters. Yeah, bright, to, colourful pictures. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's designed to look appealing to a child. Exactly. And a storyline that is easy to follow, um, you know, is very clear and explicit uh, in terms of what the difficulties are that Wally has, what it is that's causing his problems, that is the worries overcoming him, and how it is that Wally overcomes his worries by these small graded steps of facing the different fears and the way that the people who support him, his friend Carly, the confident koala, and his mum are encouraging him to be confident and face fears rather than trying to help him avoid the fears. That's right. And I think one of the benefits that we've seen from um, people who have uh, you know, used the book, purchased the book, and, and has not just been with the main caregiver but also with grandparents and others that have a caregiving role with the child. So they're, they're seeing that child on a, on a large, you know, large amount of time or a frequent number of, of times during a week or a month, and they're also part of that process of helping that child overcome uh, worries or anxieties. Uh, and the, the book is is easy for them to also take the child through and reinforce both when they're at the grandparents or the caregiver's lo, um, location and then for the parent to do at home as well. And the parent guide, I think, uh, because it is, as you said, evidence-based and, and, and it's not um, just a picture book to, to, to read to a child, child or leave with a child, mm. um, you can actually empower everyone responsible for the caregiving of that child to have a positive impact when it comes to that child's anxiety and they can see the improvement and the benefit. So That's absolutely uh, right. So I, uh, just wrapping up on this, the, the book is available through the Annie's Centre website. Yes. So www.annie's.com anniecenter.com and then just navigate to the shop tab uh, and then you can see it there for purchase. Uh, we manage all the fulfillment ourselves so it'll come directly from 
Dr. Anne Chalfont uh, and uh, just go through and, and make the purchase. If there's any issues, um, you can just leave, leave us a message and we can try and help you out there and do that on Facebook or, uh, or Instagram, wherever you um, see this uh, podcast posted. Uh, we will be publishing the podcast now uh, as well to Parlor, uh, which is another uh, online uh, social media space and Rumble, which is another social media space um, like YouTube. Um, we'll be on YouTube as well, so we'll give you that information as well. Um, and so just to, again, uh, to purchase the book and Anne's other book uh, on anxiety with children with autism uh, is at www.anniecenter.com and then navigate to the shop tab. Also, if you just put in Wally the Worried Wallaby into Google, you'll also find it that way as well. Now, just uh, let's talk about the next podcast episode because we have an exciting one coming up. Yes, I cannot wait. So we are going to be interviewing uh, two fantastic professionals, Jill Hellerman and Michaela Rafferty from Multilit. Multilit is a wonderful organisation most noted for its uh, literacy support and and reading tutor programs and spelling programs uh, in Australia, but internationally very well regarded um, and based on really great solid evidence around teaching. What they've done is expand um, into another branch, which is to do with behaviour management in the classroom and supporting teachers through programs and workshops that help upskill teachers to better manage and have the capacity to manage challenging behaviour in the classroom. And we all know that, you know, teaching academics is one aspect of the teaching environment. What is just as important is being able to manage the classroom behaviour um, because that affects everyone, not just the child, but the teacher, the family, you know, the whole nine yards. So they are involved in putting that package of uh, those sort of modules of these workshops on behaviour management together. And we're going to interview them about exactly what's involved in that package, what teachers and schools can expect if they decide to go along and do that training and why behaviour management um, is so important. They are absolute experts in their field. Uh, They've got a background in special education and behaviour consulting and management uh, and they're board certified behaviour analysts as well. So they are, you know, extremely experienced and highly credentialed and the top of their game. So it'll be wonderful to interview them and hopefully there'll be great benefit for teachers and schools and families listening to that interview um, on our podcast once it's published. So very excited about that. Yes, we are fantastic now um, and wonderful to, to, for them to give us that time. Mm. Uh, so that's the end of this episode. Thank you very much, uh, everybody, for listening. Uh- the Annie Centre podcast was brought to you by Annie Centre Proprietary Limited. Please visit anniecentre.com and subscribe to receive the latest updates and digital downloads from Dr. Anne Shalfant.